Radio Draw. It's Radio Drome. The Marquis de Suede is bent over a toilet puking, so he is not going to be joining us this week. Wait, wait, wait. Hang on, hang on. I can fill in for him. Hang on. Hey, listen, listen. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, can, you can hear Brad always taking off the case. Jones is here. <laughs> Before we get into tonight's topic, Brad, you need to go to adamandeve.com, but you can only do it if you've been taken off the case. If you're two days away from retirement, you can go and use the promo code DROME to get three free DVDs, a free mystery gift, free U.S. shipping, and 50% off of a single item. But Brad, remember, while you're on the force, you have to turn your badge in first or the code won't work because you're a rogue cop. If this is two days to retirement, that means I'm going to die before I get the chance to use the code. But see, that's the irony of it. (laughs) <laughs> no, I want to talk about action movies tonight. You just saw Two Guns, and I haven't seen the movie yet, but I got nothing against this movie because the trailer looked really fun. So, it was! Yeah, the, the, the trailer looked like, like a movie I'd enjoy. I'll admit, due to my financial situation, I'm not going to see it in the theater. I'll wait. That's one I can wait till video for. It looked like an action movie. So I want to talk a little bit tonight about what an action movie is, what they were, and unfortunately, when they became a joke. So let me say this. If I I recently was trying to get Scott Murray from Lost in the Static to watch To Live and Die in L.A., a movie he's never seen. Yeah. He asked me what it was about. And I didn't realize till after all this came out of my mouth how bad this sounded. Two Secret Service agents. One of them is three days away from retirement. He goes after his old nemesis he's never been able to catch and gets killed. And so his young, brash partner who throws the rule book out all the time, and only gets the job done when he plays by his own rules, tries to solve the case with his new by-the-book partner, but they don't solve the case until after they're taken off the case by the angry chief. Does that not sound like every action movie cliche you can think of? It does, but it goes along with it goes along with that popular saying that what what is it people say that um, it's not what it's it's not what a movie's about it's how it's about it it's how it's about what it's about that certainly is the case there um, but there's more to it than that there's absolutely that's the first movie to do that so that it wasn't cliche when they no, no. 85 you know well, that's 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 what i mean it's it's how it's about it. It, it it has even even a movie that would be made today that could have the same plot that you just said could still potentially be good because you can still do that well. There's there's certainly a re- a cliche doesn't mean doesn't automatically mean bad. You know, a cliche can be a cliche for a reason. You know, it can be a cliche just out of pure necessity that there's there's no other place you can take this story than to have it be a cliche. But a cliche can also be popular because it's a particularly good one, whether it's fitting a character archetype, a genre archetype, or even like with scares, thrills, comedy, things like that. If it if it works, it works, you know. Movies are still being made today that have a lot of cliches in them, and many of them are bad in the sense that we've just seen it many, many times before, and nothing really new is being done with it. But 
you know, you can still have, okay, two guns yesterday, which certainly has many cliches of a buddy action movie but it did it well it was funny it was funny the characters were incredibly charismatic so with that in mind movies like that can still work based on cliches cliches can still work but do you think that people and i'm talking a younger generation of moviegoers now would look at something like to live and die in la and see it as the cliched mess that it isn't but every single one of the tropes in that movie has been done, like you pointed out, a hundred times, good or bad. But do you think that it's kind of lost its audience, or a new audience, I should say, due to the fact that it was the basis of all these cliches and they're not able to see that it was the first one and that a cliche builds over time? There's a reason that a cliche becomes such, especially well, in action movies. I don't know about first, because Dirty Harry did a lot of those cliches before To Live and Die did. But not uh, all of them. To Live and Die kind of signified all those things in, in a single movie. It depends on... Honestly, I think it just depends on what a person's taste is. Um, if a person's taste in movies is that they liked a lot of that stuff to begin with, then I still think that they would like To Live and Die in L.A., because no matter how old you are, it's a shining example of that genre. And I know a lot of I know a lot of young people who I that I meet at, at cons who come up to our tables who have similar tastes that you and I do. I think that if we're talking about the very stereotypical preteen moviegoer that you know goes to see that, that goes to see something like Transformers Two, like you know every other weekend, you know I I I don't know how much they might like something like. To Live and Die in L.A. or a movie like that because it seems sort of outside of the kind of action movie that they might flock to. It's certainly not a spectacle film, and that's the difference between a lot of modern-day action movies and a lot of the action movies of the 80s. Is movies of the 80s, a lot of the action movies of the 80s were always character first, actor first, plot first, and then the spectacle to go along with it. Whereas a lot of what you see nowadays is spectacle first, spectacle second, spectacle third, and let's throw some, let's just throw a few stock characters in there. So with that in mind, I see comments a lot on movies like To Live and Die in LA and older action movies from the 70s or 80s where a certain section of a younger audience thinks it's boring. So that's an interesting take, because let's go back. Let's start at the 70s, because I think the 70s is what started what we would consider maybe the modern action movie. I mean, you had action movies in the 60s and whatnot. Uh, Fair enough. Yeah. But, uh -huh. but but I don't think they're action movies in the way we're talking about. Would you agree with yeah, I agree. on that? I, I agree with that. So what do you think was the prototypical 70s action movie? Oh, I'd God. almost want to say Magnum Force, even over Dirty Harry, because that Magnum Force was much more action oriented than Dirty Harry was. I think. Yeah, um, I would go with just just off the top of my head. If not Dirty Harry, certainly Magnum Force, uh, The French Connection. French Connection um, is a really good pick. Yes, movies like The Seven Ups, Bullet, that kind of very character. Sorcerer. Sort. Thank you, Sorcerer. Sorcerer, uh, uh, flicks. Was Sorcerer was that early '80s or was that late '70s? I thought I thought Sorcerer was late '70s because I think Sorcerer was like '78, '79. But without looking it up, I'm not a hundred percent. 
But movies like that that always had great build-up to their action set pieces, whether we're talking about the car chases and Seven Ups or Ooh, Mad Max, bullet, Mad Max. Yeah, yeah. They, there you go. the The vigilante craze, the vigilante craze of the nineteen seventies, the vigilante revenge movies. There was always build-up, which I like. Uh, there's always build-up with the characters, with the story that shows how they got to this point, that shows how. Harry Callahan got to the point where there's a motorcycle chase with all of these crooked uniform cops, or obviously the, the, the car chase from French Connection. That personally, me, that's the, that's the kind of action movie I prefer. I, I prefer, I'm, I'm a person who, who loves character. I love character. I love interaction. I love dialogue. I love acting. And I like, and you know what? Yeah, I, I like, I like, I love action. I do. I love action. And spectacle is fine. But I need support for that. I need something to go along with that. I need context for that. I, I don't like just spectacle and action and just blank exposition dialogue just for the sake of a lot of action. I don't like that. I find it very boring. And honestly, that's a reason I like Two Guns a lot. Two Guns was a very, it was a very charismatic, funny character movie with a lot of with with a lot of over-the-top action sequences but it had characters to support that and that's why i genuinely love the ones from the 70s and the 1980s do you see a certain style to 70s ones to 70s action movies that the 80s either built on or completely drove over or do you think it was just that's because you know filmmaking techniques obviously grow as the movie industry does. So, yeah. like, the things they did in the 80s might not have been, even if they were physically possible, financially mm. possible, in, say, Magnum Force. Or do you think just the style of movies it themselves and the time, you know, society itself changed action movies? If suddenly we had the technology in the 1970s to make action sequences look like they do now, I still don't think that necessary. I, I, I don't think we would have all of the sudden gotten movies like like the avengers in the 1970s um because if you look at it it is a gradual build it is a it is in terms of the technology in terms of the spectacle of action movies it was a build in the 1970s you had the the ones that we mentioned with the car chases with some bank heists and some shootouts and stuff like that and then that went into the 80s where a lot of things got a bit, and we're talking mainstream movies here, a lot of things got very cartoonish, certainly, but still with charismatic leads, charismatic characters, you know, fun back and forths between the people we're rooting for, fun villains, but you certainly had more over-the-top action set pieces, where it's whether it's John McClane jumping off the roof of the Nakatomi Plaza, whether it's all of this stuff that Chuck Norris is doing, whether it's Rambo riding on that horse in Rambo 3 and then at the end of Rambo 2 shooting up that office it, it certainly got very got much more over the top and then in the 90s and then in the 90s again a bit more over the top but then we started seeing it more we started the spectacle certainly started becoming the star in the 90s and I, I know I'm kind of repeating myself from a few episodes back but the the spectacle certainly became the star in the 1990s I mean look at the trailers for Look at the trailers for like Independence Day, where like the White House blowing up was the star of that movie. That whole action sequence was the star of that film, and then that kept going and going and going until 
until nowadays, it is just pure spectacle that drives the advertisements of these movies, that drives the hype for the movies. Now, now action movies nowadays st- still certainly have character. Like the, I know you don't like the Marvel movies a lot, but they do have character. They do have charismatic characters and actors in those films. They, they really, really do. And even even some other some other flicks that I that I see all the time still has can still have very funny characters in it. But even but even with that being the case, it's still very much the it's still very much the technology that's selling the film. It's still very much the heavy, heavy, heavy CG action sequences that are selling the film way more so than it is actually selling plot or character or sometimes even sometimes even acting. Or personality, even, and that's I think has been the, and that's what I think has been the the evolution, and that's certainly what has been the evolution of of action films over the past forty years. Let's. I want to go back to something you said about the eighties action movies because I I don't disagree with you on this. You said they got over the top and cartoonish, and they did. And now, to a degree, the seventies ones were like that too. Well, I I don't mean that in a bad way. I don't mean that in a bad way. And I'm not saying that the seventies. My point is, my point wasn't that the seventies weren't over the top. My point was that in the eighties, it was it just became more over the top. It just became more, more of that, more of that kind of thing. And I agree with you, you on that. And I, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing either, but. It became a bad thing to me when that became the standard. I didn't like Last Action Hero, but I, I thought it. Last Action Hero, the parts that worked were an accurate parody of what action movies had become by the 90s. But mm. you look at the the admittedly over-the-top action movies of the 80s, why do you think that happened? Do you think it was more of a, we, we had to constantly one-up what the last movie was or do you think it was sort of and i don't necessarily agree with this but it's the only word that's coming into my head right now the add of the audience that we need an explosion every 10 minutes or we're going to lose them so sort of the cutthroat island where as rennie harlan outright says whenever we ran into a problem with the script blow something up i don't know if it was necessarily that in the 80s because the 80s very much still sold their films on personality the personality and charisma of its star the star was still the star and sometimes the situation itself of the movie would would certainly be the 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 advert the advertisement gimmick and goal of the movie was was still with the star and the actor but i but i do i do think that a lot of them try to one-up themselves absolutely i do when you uh which i don't think there's really anything wrong with that because hell they're just trying to make an entertaining movie but but when you see when you hear interviews with stallone and schwarzenegger talking about their experiences as action leading men of the 1980s stallone says so stallone or schwarzenegger one of them said that yeah it got to the point where they were trying to one-up each other's movies Arnold was trying to one-up the body count in Stallone's, and Stallone would then try to one-up the body count of Arnold's movies, and how many people they could just freaking destroy on screen. So, yeah, I, I do think that at a point, it got to be, it got to be, yeah, we need to be more over the top and kind of outdo the other one, but they never, but those movies, to me, didn't, they didn't sacrifice character, because... John Matrix in Commando is a character. That's exactly okay. where I was going to go. Was was Commando? Yeah, John Matrix in Commando is still a character 
um, the running man, still a character. And, and Stallone one-upping that with John Rambo. Okay, he one-ups him with John. He, he tries to one-up him with John Rambo. But John Rambo is still a character. He still keeps John Rambo as a fun, as a fun entertaining character. The one I'll disagree with you on is what, what I consider to be probably one of the best action movies ever made. It was not sold on its star, on its story, which there I think the movie has quite a bit of, and that would be The Road Warrior, a.k.a. Mad Max 2. The uh-huh. trailer is all the stunts, all yeah. the action. They don't even mention Mel Gibson, and he's got like two lines in the entire trailer. That movie was sold on, this is the ultimate action movie. And I will stand by this. I think The Road Warrior is, if not the best action movie ever made, at least in the top five. Yeah, it's it's up there. But I mean, I wasn't I wasn't trying to I wasn't trying to paint it with a broad brush saying that. Oh, no, I, I realize what you're saying, but but I'm saying there was also that kind Absolutely. of advertising where they said it doesn't matter. You know, no one's heard of this Mel Gibson guy in mm-hmm. 1982. Yeah. But they're going to go for all these really cool car crashes and all these explosions and all these people being shot by punks wearing chaps. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And and yeah, certainly there were certainly there were trailers for movies outside of the genre of action that that certainly sold a the climax of that certainly sold the climax of the movie. But even even movie trailers with Road Warrior aside, Road, Road Warrior aside, and uh, honestly, even the first Die Hard aside, because for a lot of those trailers, they were keeping Bruce Willis out of it. I don't. I, I was of, gonna say I don't remember how they advertised Die Hard. I saw it in the theater. I cannot remember the trailer for the first Die Hard. The the well the the main trailer that everyone's seen certainly shows Bruce Willis prominently, but the first, I think it was like. Uh, maybe a teaser or something really didn't because studios were unsure if whether or not he could carry an action movie. It's because he was uh, known for re- comedy yeah, at that time. Yeah, for moonlighting, much. blind date and stuff like that. But but you know, you look at the trailer for something like and this is isn't an action movie, but you look at the trailer for Carrie, that's certainly the high point of that trailer and it's showing you that the climax of the film is the prom sequence, but also in that trailer it still shows that this is still a very character-driven movie. It just has a very, very high-concept climax. But in in Mad Max, I in Mad Max and, and the Road Warrior, I can I can certainly see why I I can certainly see why they would have advertised it in the way that they did. Because I mean, the the action set pieces are a great part of that movie, and also the fact that they did that they didn't have a at the time they didn't have a schwarzenegger a stallone a what they would consider to be a bankable headlining star carrying that movie if if they had the advertisements for that movie might have been a little different and i think you saw that by the time beyond thunderdome came about you know it was advertising mel gibson and the mad max character Uh over the action You, you saw you know just in the three years between those two movies how much of a star mel gibson had become completely changed how they how they sold this action movie. And I still think Beyond Thunderdome, in the action scenes, it's still a pretty good action movie, but that one... We'll do a Mad Max retrospective when Fury Road comes out. But Yeah. I'm but, not... Maybe... I'm, I, I don't know. Maybe you, you'll have to correct me. Maybe years have been kind of that movie, but last time I saw Road Warrior, which was when I was... When, which is when I was much younger, I couldn't stand it, really. <laughs> Road Warrior? Oh, or I'm sorry, not forgive me, Thunder. Forgive me on that Thunderdome. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I was gonna say Road Warrior. I will fight your ass. No, up. no, no, no. Yeah. Road, Road, Road Warrior is great. Road Warrior is a great film. 
No, I'm Thunderdome. Sorry. I I like parts of Thunderdome. To me, Thunderdome is like RoboCop two. It's not a good movie, but it has great segments. Uh, to me, it's like RoboCop three because they paired him with a bunch of kids. Fair enough analogy. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough that you went there. Don't get me wrong. Thunderdome's a much better movie than RoboCop 3, but... (laughs) What do you think happened where the cliches became the cliches of the action movie, such as the the cop cannot solve the case until he's taken off the case? Do you think that there's something safe in that for an audience? Because to me, I'm of two minds of this. One, a smart screenwriter can do that Mm -hmm. and do it in a smart way. Such as Jerry Stahl, I think, proved with Bad Boys 2, as we discussed on the Geek Juice Michael Bay retrospective, that I think a smart writer can work that in where it's not a cliche. But let's face it, a lot of 90s action movies were not as smart as they kind of claimed they were, especially when you listen to the commentaries where it was the studio executives wanted what was familiar. They didn't want to try anything new. And it became just a fallback position. Do you think there's something safe in going to a movie and you pretty much, even if the details change, you know where it's going to go. You you know every beat it's going to take. Is that script laziness, which it is in some cases, or do you think generally it's it's a safe zone? Both. I think that it's. I think that studios like. Studios certainly like playing it safe because they know what an audience likes. They know what an audience is comfortable with. And they know that a majority of the mainstream audience doesn't really like doesn't really like newer things thrown at them, whether it be maybe the downer ending or something that something that they might be uncomfortable with. So studios certainly like to play it safe because they know that the they know the cliches that audiences will still pay to go see, and they know that in some cases audience may may still turn out in droves on it as opposed to something that's taking much more of a risk because that's a little more unsafe for the studios. Risky movies it's, tend it, not to be blockbusters. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but it's like I said, a good writer can still make those cliches work. I'm going to use Two Guns as an example again. In Two Guns, it's not an unpredictable film. You you kind of you kind of do know where it's going. You really do. You you, you sort of know who's sort of going to turn on who and you have a pretty good idea of how it's going to end. But it does it well. It, it it does it well. It's not trying to be the usual suspects. It's not trying to fool you in any of this. And it's it's putting these very, very, very likable actors and characters who have really well-written dialogue, and they're great together. They have great on-screen chemistry together, and it's putting them in what is certainly a familiar type of movie, but also kind of doing also doing some darker things with it, certainly. Um, but it still carries that movie. It still does. It's familiar territory, but it's well-written enough to where it's it's good familiar territory it's it's there's there's nothing wrong with the comfort movie you know there 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 really is some movies you go to just to have some fun you know is it going to be familiar sure but you want to have some fun with these guys on screen and you want to be entertained for about 90 minutes and some movies do that well uh you mentioned jerry stall jerry stall did that well well and then there's also i think shane black has done that quite well Oh, absolutely Shane Black does. Because, I mean, you look at something like Last Boy Scout, 
I can't believe that movie made money. And we've talked about it in the Tony Scott retrospective. We're both huge fans of that. So I'm not bitching about the movie. Uh-huh. But that movie is almost a parody of the kind of movie that it was sold as. Go and watch the trailer. It's sold as a Lethal Weapon clone. Well, it certainly became the kind of... I don't know if parody is the right word because in terms of its Satire? humor... I don't even know about that because in terms of its humor... That was very much the style of humor of a lot of different buddy movies of that time. Now, Last Boy Scout is a shining example of that. It is, because it's it's got these two characters that are that work great together, and Bruce Willis is hilarious, but it's also a really rough movie with a lot of brutality and some it's titties. It's a brutal film, and, man. And, yeah, and some titties, too. In, in freaking Two Guns, the first time you see the main actress in the movie, her tits are pointed right at the screen. There, there was also a lot of buddy movies then in the 1990s that still were very, very, that still tried doing similar things in terms of how comedic the characters are. Uh, okay, okay, look at the difference between the first Lethal Weapon and Lethal Weapon 3. Now, Lethal Weapon 3, I like. I like Lethal Weapon 3 a lot. But it's radically more jokey than the first one is. I actually think it became... Self-aware, which is something I was going to bring up later, but since you went there, do you think that action movies started to suffer when they became self-aware? Well, when, when they, I mean, whether it's an intentional parody of action movies or not, I think *Lethal Weapon* is kind of a parody of it, just kind of like how *RoboCop 3* is a parody, intentionally or not, of what happens when you try to kid-friendly an R-rated movie. Oh God, I hate that movie. I know um, you do. I know you do. Just um, calm down. Lethal, calm down. Lethal, I would say that about Lethal Weapon 4. 3, maybe not so much. Uh, 3, I think, was certainly just lighter in terms that here are these two guys who are best friends. They've been working together for a long time, and they're certainly going to be more jokey with each other. And at that point, Riggs is no longer suicidal, so it doesn't have that dark of a storyline going on with it. Whereas in the second one, it was kind of a mixture of both because Riggs was still dealing with his issues, yet was a bit more comfortable in his life, but there's still some darker things going on, especially when they kill off Patsy Kensett. But then by the time 3 comes around, Riggs has kind of worked through most of his issues, so there's really, at that point, there really wasn't a need for it to be quite as dark as the other two were. But by the time 4 came around... When you had Joe Pesci and a catching a shark on a fishing trip, and, and Chris Rock, and Chris Rock with the laughing gas, and I think at one point it actually played like a dun dun dun. To me, what went wrong by the time Lethal Four, Lethal Weapon Four came about was, and, and people might tear me apart for this, but I think they weren't even trying. The whole will me to you, Riggs, and, and like he knows where he is, like they have some kind of psychic bond. It, it to me implied. The screenwriters aren't even taking this seriously anymore, so why should I? It was a it was a cash grab. It was a total cra- cash grab. Riggs doesn't have his long hair anymore. He has a freaking laser gun. There's a guy with a flamethrower at the beginning of it. What? It that movie was just all about its action set pieces, and that was it. It really like three was like three ended on a great character arc with Riggs with Riggs at, with Riggs wanting to kill himself at the beginning of one and then wanting to settle down with Rene Russo at the end of three. You have your Riggs character arc right there. There was, unless you're really going to try to do something new or different, there was no need for that fourth movie. Not at all. But then 
that also brings up the whole humor angle that comes with action movies. To me, there are two d- different type of action movies, and I'm leaving, I'm clumping the science fiction ones and the horror action because, like, a lot of people called the Dawn of the Dead remake in 2004 an action movie more than a horror film, and I can see where they're coming from, although I disagree with that. But you've got the the ones that play a lot of humor, and then there are the ones that are just dark, like a, like a Death Wish movie. There's not a lot of humor in those. Same with like a Dirty Harry movie. Not a lot of humor. But then you've got like the Beverly Hills Cop movies. And I think uh-huh. the first two are fine action comedies. Yeah. Do you think that, that sometimes they they lose sight of the action and go more to the comedy, like where I think Lethal Weapon 4 or even 3 went with the – I think 3 was more comedic than it was action. Well, I mean, it all depends on the kind of action movie. You know, you can say the same thing about horror movies. You have some darker, straight horror films, and you have horror comedies. And it's the same way with action. You would find some action movies in the 70s that were like that. Look at uh, Freebie and the Bean with uh, James Caan and uh, Alan Arkin. Is a very funny action movie that has a, that has a lot of funny moments in it. I think that humor started playing more of a role the more over the top some of the action set pieces were because while unintentionally over the top, I mean, like, like I, I believe that when they became cartoonish and didn't realize it, you saw other producers that said, "Let's intentionally go cartoonish." Yeah, I think that that yeah, I think that that certainly could have happened. Other producers saw that and let's and they said, "Let's go intentionally cartoonish." But even some of the ones that maybe weren't intentionally cartoonish, but still had very over the top action, there's there's no way a movie like that would be as would be as dark as Death Wish. There's no way something like that would be would have the grit to it that Death Wish had because there's that would be wildly out of place in a very over the top action movie like. Like a Die Hard, which which Die Hard certainly has its very serious moments in it, but not like Death Wish. It's a completely different kind of movie. Just like you wouldn't expect to see Paul Kersey jump off of a skyscraper in the original Death Wish. I mean, there are just certain kinds of action movies. It branches out into other genres. And Beverly Hills Cop is a movie that was written around uh, Eddie Murphy's acting style, his comedic chops. So that's very much an action comedy but you know at the same time we had beverly hills cop uh a couple years prior there was you know vice squad which is a much rougher and darker action film but that that's just the kind of action movie that they both are well and i i agree with that but i i sometimes think that they lose sight of what they were supposed to do but look at like the 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 later seagal movies the later theatrical seagal movies Uh where it became just about punching people in the nuts and the one-liners. You know, when the one-liners started taking over for the characters, yeah. I think that's when action movies lost sight of what, you know, if I don't care about this guy, if all this guy does is quip when he shoots some some punk in the head, why do I care what happens? It, yeah, because you certainly have to have a character to go along with the quips. You know, Arnold had was always a very likable character certainly clint eastwood and stallone and all of those guys i think that for some producers it got to the point to where the only character that they really needed was the comic relief and that was it you know you have all of these action spectacles and these set pieces and we're gonna we're gonna sell this entire movie on this and we're gonna make just every character in the movie a freaking comic relief you know they're not really necessarily a character but they're 
just saying a bunch of jokes and that's it. That's all they do. Look at the tens of thousands of comic relief characters that were in the freaking Transformers movies. The movie's nothing but comic relief characters. And I've only seen the first two. It's the same with the third one. Well, but then you've also got, once they became self-aware, you also got the action movie, the overt parodies. Like a movie like Tracks with Shadow Stevens. <laughs> nice. It knows exactly what kind of movie it wants to be. And it's, I mean, the main villain dies by lighting a cigar in a car he just farted in. Yeah. And he blows up. This is a movie that is fully aware of the cliches and just says, we're going to make, we're, we're going to play it straight. Because that's what I think works about tracks. It's mm. never nudge, nudge, wink, wink. And it easily could have become that, like Loaded Weapon 1. Yeah, yeah. Because I do like Loaded Weapon 1. I mean, so come on, Sh- Shatner biting a piranha back. Yeah. How do you I, not love that? I'm with you. I'm totally with you on that. I love Loaded Weapon 1. But, lo- but Loaded Weapon 1 wouldn't work if the action genre hadn't, almost watered itself down to that point, don't you think? Well, maybe not necessarily watered it down, but more so, like, it's just gotten that familiar, you know? Because you certainly need a huge sense of very, very, very familiarity to do a spoof like that. Same with uh, uh, Airplane coming out, you know, on the heels of all of these airport movies. The, the, The spoofs that the Naked Gun and Police Squad were doing, so... I think that by the time a, a loaded weapon and stuff like that comes around is maybe not necessarily a sign that that kind of movie is dying, but more that uh, it, it more that it's just gotten that there's a lot of familiar stuff about it to where you can easily make a spoof. Okay, a good example of that is uh, you remember Student Bodies. I mean, this isn't an action movie, but you remember Student Bodies from the early '80s, the horror film. Yeah, the the spoof, the horror spoof. Yeah, the, the one with the huge, lanky, creepy dude with the extra-long arms as the janitor? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that 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 guy just always creeped me out. Yeah, that that, that was, uh, that was uh, basically, you know, it was airplane, but with but about slasher movies. It was a slasher movie spoof. And this is early 80s, and that wasn't, that wasn't a time when the slasher movies were dying. They were just... Very, people knew what they were what they were at that they point. were just people, everywhere yeah they were everywhere people knew what they were about so you know you can make this spoof movie out of it and it'll if people watch a lot of slasher movies and then watch this spoof it'll make total sense to them they'll get the jokes but that certainly wasn't the end of slasher movies they continued on for several more years well what about when action movies as we're defining them in this episode cross genres do you think sometimes that opens it up more or closes it off for example aliens Mm. i know a lot of people that don't even consider that a science fiction movie they're like this is an action movie with science fiction trappings where on the other hand you you've got other other sci-fi action movies where they just say well like road warrior it's not really sci-fi it's just a straight up action movie I've never met somebody who said Aliens isn't a sci-fi movie. I, I've actually seen it in in some of the the old magazines. If you, my my dad was big into you know warfare and stuff mm-hmm. like that, so he always had Soldier of Fortune and stuff lying around. And they would review movies like Aliens, but they would go out of their way. I, maybe they thought they were alienating their audience, no pun intended, by going, oh that goofy sci-fi stuff. 
but they would take these kind of movies or a movie like Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man, which, you know, it's a sci-fi movie. It really is. Mm-hmm. And, and they would kind of go, see, it's not really sci-fi. It's an action movie. It just takes place with aliens on, an, on another planet. That's all. And that makes it science fiction. <laughs> to um, me, yes, but I've seen so many critics try and take the action or the sci-fi out of the action in some genres or in that some just, cases. It's sci-fi action. That's it's sci-fi action. That to me that just screams of a critic just trying to sound smarter than he actually is and making himself sound like a dumbass. I think it's more of a critic who's afraid of alienating again no pun intended of the audience that, you know, the kind of person that reads Soldier of Fortune probably is not a big sci-fi fan. Or how about like the critics who, when they see a horror movie they like, they don't call it a horror film, they call it a psychological thriller? I can't stand that. I've seen slasher <laughs> movies. Yeah. It's a guy in a mask killing teenagers, and they're like, oh, it's a beautiful psychological thriller. No, it's a horror film. Call it what it is. <laughs> and, but see, I saw the same thing, like I brought up earlier with the Dawn of the Dead remake in 2004. A lot of mainstream critics who always shit on horror films wanted to like this movie. And I liked the remake, by the way. They they kept trying to say, oh, it's much more of an action film. There's not so much horror. And it was like they were just trying to sell it to their audience who they thought wouldn't buy it if it was called a horror movie. It's It's got... I Okay, maybe you can say that it's both, like a horror action, but it... I don't know. Like, that's... It has as much action in it as any other zombie movie ever made does a lot of I'm thinking maybe they thought because they're running it's it's actually faster paced in a literal and figurative sense uh, I, I, don't, I don't know like um but i mean like it you certainly can't take the horror out of it whether you want to also classify it as an action movie or not you certainly can't take the horror out of it you can have both. I mean, you know, in, in terms of action, it's genres aren't narrow. Genres are very broad. You can you can do a lot of different things with it. You can have an action comedy. You can have an action horror film. You can have sci-fi action. You can have uh, action with a hint of some romance in it and, and stuff like that. Uh, genres bleed into each other all the time. Horror movies do that. Comedies do that. And, and, so, and so do action movies. Well, there's also, like, go back to our Seagal retrospective. I think it was Out for Justice, where Alex pointed out, this clearly does not take place in the real world. That this is a almost science fictionalized version of, was it Brooklyn or Manhattan that that one took place in? Brooklyn. In Brooklyn. I, it was, uh, I mean, it was the real world in how it, most action movies like that in the early 90s or in the real world think that because it's over the top and unrealistic means that it's science fiction. It, it just means it's a Steven Seagal movie. <laughs> well, okay, th- then l- let's move on to Steven Seagal. You brought up Schwarzenegger and Stallone earlier. Mm-hmm. What do you think changed about the action movie heroes? And I- I'm not trying to shit on the modern ones. I think Statham is a great action movie star. But you see a different tone or a different character in the esoteric sense, of the action movie heroes we had of the late 90s and today than we did of the 80s when I think the action movie hero really came about. Because to me, Popeye Doyle never really was a big action movie hero. Yeah. Where, whereas John Matrix or or even Paul Kersey or Snake Plissken was. 
Well, it got it certainly got to that point with Paul Kersey. It, I think once that, Cannon took over Paul Kersey. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that. Uh, yeah, there. I think that there are fine action heroes today, uh, especially Jason Statham, because Jason Statham fits right in with some of the guys that we grew up Vin with. Vin Diesel's not bad. Yeah, I like Vin Diesel. I like Dwayne Johnson. These are the all Bacchus, very. It is. Uh, I think he's he's one that surprised me. He really did. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. The, I I I love I love all three of those guys. Uh, but those guys are also they really get what makes an, a true action guy because those guys are charismatic as hell. You know, those are characters. Those are those are great archetypes of action people, and, and I, I positively uh, in in the positive sense. Um, I mean, they have charismatic. They have chemistry out the freaking ass. In terms of some of the guys that we grew up with, well, okay, let's say some of the guys from the 90s, the Seagals, the Van Dams. I think that over time, I'll blame the 90s for a lot of this. Uh, people just got too, too annoyingly cynical about that kind of movie. Attitudes on that kind of movie, granted, I think that, I think that it's kind of come back in a way, especially how... Uh, Especially how you have guys like Statham and Dwayne Johnson now as who are who are prominent action heroes. I think that that style of action movie has cert- is, is certainly trying to come back. Somewhere in the mid '90s, audiences got very, very, very cynical about that kind of action movie. Extremely. When I was growing up, I knew people who. One year they were pumped and psyched as hell to see the new Arnold movie, to see the new Van Damme movie. But then two years go by and they're and they're you know like, oh, phew, I'm not gonna go see that. Well, do you think that might be due to either a deluge of product, which we definitely got uh, in the action genre in the '90s when the uh, direct-to-video boom really kicked into gear uh-huh. on that, but also. I'm going to qualify that when I use the word failed, I, when I say failed in this next example, I don't mean that they were bad, but they failed in the sense that they did not become the action movie stars that their studios thought they should be. People like Don the Dragon Wilson and Michael Dudikoff mm-hmm. and I mean, Cynthia Rothrock, definitely not a failure, but she never really broke into the mainstream like like honestly at that time I thought she was going to. Well, I mean, th- we're we're going into like the direct-to-video age of action movies here, and direct-to-video action movies needed stars too. And if a certain star maybe couldn't carry it at the box office, they probably sure as hell could on video and on cable. And on the Dragon Wilson did, Cynthia Rothrock did, uh, Thomas Ian Griffith did. Uh, in some instances, Bosworth had a couple that were that people rented um stone i'll still stand by stone cold only because of lance henriksen and william forsyth yeah yeah the villains Uh, make that movie not bosworth yeah uh i mean you know llamas had a handful uh you know the director video needed their action stars too and that's and that's just the mold that they fit you know they they fit along with that style of action movie nothing wrong with that but i mean like even in even in the early 80s, there were the practice action hero, you know. What was that one you were telling me about uh, that starred the guy that starred the guy who looked like Chuck Norris, but was surrounded by actors who were way more well-known than he was? Oh, uh, Jaguar Lives. Uh, the uh, What the hell was his name? 
action movies tried practice here a lot, and a lot of times they succeeded. Just look at Seagal. Seagal was a no-name when he did uh, Above the Law and came through like freaking gangbusters on that. And he, um, yeah, because he, he had the charisma. His ego absolutely. hadn't taken over yet. You you got this this charisma. It's the only word I can use. And that's the same thing like you pointed out with Vin Diesel and Jason Statham and The Rock today. They, uh-huh. they really carry a charisma to them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you saw a guy that didn't necessarily make it, you know, in the in the action world that was this guy's not doing it for me, like uh uh Jeff Speakman and uh Yeah, uh, I, I never liked Speakman. Same with Don the Dragon Wilson, just something never clicked with me. But Michael Dudikoff in the same way, I mean he always seemed like he didn't really want to be in most of his movies, didn't he? Dudikoff, I thought, worked sometimes. Uh, as a comedic actor, I thought Dudikoff actually wasn't that bad. Uh, I liked him in Bachelor Party. <laughs> I'm thinking uh, more like the American Ninja movies. Oh, he I always kind of came across like, I really don't really – I'm under contract. Just deal with it. I Yeah, I mean like Dudikoff, I, Dudikoff I didn't necessarily think was all that terrible. Like, that maybe I, I still thought, thought the movie was kind of fun. A, a movie that I it would have seen him in would – be kind of fun but but yeah i mean he's not the most reading action guy out there um i liked him better than speakman but uh yeah like in other instances too like that well but you also had in the 80s and 90s you had more action stars for lack of a better term that 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 tried their hand at it it didn't work and then they branched out like like that that cory haim cynthia rothrock movie where it was really more of a buddy comedy than oh it, uh, fast getaway fast getaway yeah and didn't they make a second one of those too yeah yeah there were two of them but you know you you had cynthia rothrock trying other things whereas dudikoff basically after he started action movies that's <laughs> all he did and like i said i just i never thought he was really all that good in them well which is why i prefaced my failed as not so much they failed in their role if you enjoyed them, but they just failed to break through. Yeah, I mean, Dudikoff is Dudikoff works as a, not a theatrical performer. Dudikoff is Dudikoff certainly works as a direct video guy. He certainly works as a cable guy, and even then, he's not the most charismatic in the world. That you know, he didn't necessarily have kind of to... fit his acting style. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, exactly. Do you see a marked difference between the action movies we grew up with and the kind we're getting today, like Fast Six and 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 the, the Statham movies and that, or do you think that they have a naturally evolved? Because to I, me, I think I, I I can't disagree with you. The the spectacle took over, and I think they don't have. And I know people are going to laugh at me saying this: the heart that an 80s or 90s action movie had to them. Maybe that's just the cynic in me seeing that. No, I don't think it is. I, I, I think you're right. Uh, it certainly has. It, it's, it's just the evolution. It's just the evolution of the spectacle. It's just the evolution of the genre. But I think in an instance like Fast 6, that is an example, though, of a movie, and Fast 5 as well. Those are examples of movies that are certainly about spectacle of course they are they are the over-the-top car chase action sequence that it's just a flat-out cartoon but what those movies do right is that it gives you both it gives you it gives 
studios want to sell, which is all of the, which is like, you know, a car driving through a plane that's about to explode. But it also gives you what guys like me and you like, which is very, very, very likable and competent leads between Vin Diesel and Dwayne Johnson. And see, I haven't seen Fast 6 yet, but I loved Fast 5. To me, I describe Fast 5 the same way I describe Jason X. That movie has no right to be as good as it is. You're, you're right. And Fast 6 is the same way. If you like Fast 5, you'll like Fast 6. And and to me, that's what that's what the that's what the modern action movie needs. Very much like you put in your Two Guns review, they're going back to an older style of action movie. You know, like you said, Two Guns feels like a 90s action movie. That's one of the reasons, besides liking the trailer, I wanted to see it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's and that's why it works because it does it well. It does it well. It feels just it feels just very genuine. It feels just like a very genuine movie that possibly would have come out at that time. It doesn't feel like it's trying to spoof it. Trying to it doesn't feel movie, paint by trying, numbers. But yeah, it's it's not. It, it doesn't feel like it's just being tongue in cheek. Like it's it, it doesn't feel like it's just trying to just straight up be a parody of that. It just it just is one of those movies, and it happens to do it incredibly well well and then you've also got and we didn't we didn't touch on this at all so maybe we'll do this in another episode we just talked about the american ones you've got all the asian action movies you got the italian action flicks we'll save Uh that for another episode but america was not the only one doing making action flicks in the 70s 80s and 90s were they oh my boy bruno had several (laughs) <laughs> not, not just Bruno, pretty much all the Italian directors had a bunch. And, and, you know, and that doesn't even bring up the whole post-apocalyptic rip-off genre. Yeah. <laughs> you know, 2020 Fall of New York and, you know, all that stuff. Those are some hardcore action movies. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you had Red Brown doing them both. Red Brown did the Italian ones and he did the American ones, too. How the hell did I forget Reb freaking Brown? God damn it. <laughs> you know what? One of these nights, we're going to do a, an entire Reb Brown retrospective. I'll have, to give, I'll have to give Noah a call. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to see if Noah will be on that one. Where can people find Brad? He's back on the case after catching the killer because he got his badge back, Jones. That would be one of the few movies where I actually played a good guy. Uh, TheCinemaSnob.com. And you can find me, 1201beyond.com. Contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. I'm also over at geekjuicemedia.com. And maybe next week, the Marquis de Suede will be back if he's not feeling sick. Have a good night, guys.
Radio Drome is a 1201 Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.